You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Isn't it often easy that this old, old story of heaven breaking into earth, like Renee reminded us in the children's story, the, the reality that church is the place where we can bring the messiness of our lives, that somehow the reality of heaven and the messiness of our lives embrace, as David reminded us, sometimes that becomes but a benign backdrop in our lives, doesn't it? And it loses its mobilizing, energizing power. Somehow the passion of that fades and it becomes but the old, old story instead of that which captivates us. Well, how in the world in a few minutes do you do Matthew to John uh, and the story of Jesus? Our our grandson Elijah points me in the right direction. As only a two or three-year-old can do, Elijah can capture the room and command everyone's attention. And when Elijah prays, He says, okay, everybody, grab hands. So please, grab hands. And he says, Jesus, 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 fire, fire, fire. Amen. (laughs) That's the gospel. And thus endeth our sermon for the morning. It is, isn't it? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Fire, the fire of the inbreaking of heaven into the coldness of our hearts and our homes and our societies. The fire of God's healing love penetrating our fractured, fractured lives with God's healing power. And yet our lives are laden with fire retardants, aren't they? We are great at putting out fires, at avoiding fires, distrust is one of the great fire retardants, isn't it? Distrust that God is at work at this moment in God's sovereign goodness, as he is at work in every moment in sovereign goodness. Distrust. Shame. Shame's another great fire retardant, isn't it? This conviction that we're just not worthy. If anyone really knew our story, we would be expelled like some medieval leper. Distrust, shame, addiction, addiction to other people's good impressions of us, wanting to look good in the eyes of others, wanting other people's approval, and therefore the terror of embarrassment, the terror of looking foolish, the terror of standing out. And we as Presbyterians have specialized in that one, haven't we? In our addiction to decency and order, uh, and just wanting to make sure that everything flows on time and is carefully managed. Into this world of fire retardants breaks the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we hear it in this story of the pool of Bethesda, Bethsaida. Literally, it means house of grace, house of mercy, Beth Hesed. A man for 38 years sitting beside the pool of shame and disgrace, looking for mercy and grace, feeling trapped and helpless and hopeless that there is no fire, 
that could break into his life. And into his life walks a stranger, unknown, who asks a really stupid question. Do you want to be well? Of course this guy wants to be well. He's been sitting there for 38 years wanting to get well. But like many of us, when we are encased in our shame and disappointments of week after month after year after decade of what seems to be God's impotence, what seems to be our unworthiness, the man just pours out his excuses. It's not my fault that I'm not well. He never even answers Jesus' question. He just makes excuses. But Jesus does not linger with the excuses. He blows right past them and he simply says to the man, get up. And so he does. Pick up your pallet, the symbol of your shame and your disgrace, your loss of mercy. Pick it up. And so he does and he walks out and, and immediately he's confronted by others. What are you doing carrying something on the Sabbath? That's work. And his response is, oh, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. Blame that, that guy. Uh, I don't know who. Uh, but there was some guy who walked in here and told me to get up and take this and walk. Jesus goes to find him again. This time he's in the temple. Is he worshiping or is he looking for approval? I'm not quite sure. I wouldn't be surprised but what he was looking for approval after 38 years of feeling like a complete reject. He would certainly want some kind of validation, some kind of acceptance. Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, be careful lest you sin again and this time it be worse than the first time. And he walks away. And the man goes running up to the Jewish authorities. I found him, I found him, I found the guy who made me well. It's, it's, it's Jesus. He did it again. The man was healed in his body. But he wasn't healed in his heart, was he? He wasn't healed in his spirit. He wasn't healed in his relationships. Sometimes the hardest healing in the human life is the healing that can't be seen physically, isn't it? It's the healing of our disappointed, broken hearts. The, the healing of our sense of betrayal and loss. The healing of our sense of guilt or shame or unworthiness. And as a result, immediately it says a persecution arose. against Jesus. And so we pick up our scripture again in John chapter 5. And if you are able, would you stand with me? It's on page 866. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I will read bits. Beginning in verse 16. Therefore the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. And then I want you to listen. Jesus says five things about himself in response to this persecution. Listen for these. Jesus answered them, my father is still working and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, he was calling God his father, making himself equal to God. The first thing we hear about this Jesus. Second, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The second thing 
we see about this Jesus. I can do nothing on my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. Verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Third thing. Jesus lives in this love of his Father for him. And out of that come astonishing things. Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. The next thing we see, Jesus is the one who gives life. And then I will skip to verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Life is not found in a set of words. The words point to the word. In our word-weary world, we need that word of life to walk in, don't we? We need that word to be one we can touch, we can see. We need power, not just noise. And then finally, I do not accept glory or approval, the word could mean. I do not accept glory or approval from human beings, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. If another comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe when you accept approval from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for what he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? The word of the Lord. Please be seated. That was the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is not please be seated. Uh, it was what, what I just read was the word of the Lord. Um, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you will have life. And you miss out on the life to which those scriptures point. If you'd really believed Moses, if you'd really believed all the sermons you've heard up until this one, then you would believe that all of them point to me, Jesus says. I am life, not life as a set of circumstances or a set of ideas or a set of doctrines or a set of beliefs. I am life. And I give life. How often I, am, I sing to myself that great um, chorus from the musical My Fair Lady. Don't talk of love nor of romance. Don't talk at all. Show me. Right? Isn't that what we need? We need the fire, the power, the reality of life, of love, poured out as we sit by our pools of shame and disgrace. Have you sat there this week? Are there some pools you've sat beside? As we've sat there feeling unworthy, unacceptable, undeserving, as, as we've sat there wondering if God really could or would walk into our lives with healing power and life. 
Those pools are surrounded by the house of mercy, Bethesda. They're surrounded by the house of grace. This sanctuary is a house of grace, a house of mercy. Henry walked into this sanctuary one Sunday morning years ago. Saturday night, he decided to end his life. He was a scientist at the University of Washington. He saw no reason to continue, but he decided to give himself a 24-hour extension. He'd never been to church before, so he came here. And he said, I didn't understand a word the next day when I was speaking with him, uh, called by Dave Moneymaker's uh, wife, Natalie, said, Tim, you need to come in here. There's a man in distress. He said, I didn't understand a word of what went on in that room that day. You monks in your robes fluttering around. It just seemed all so much nonsense to me. But there was something there. I sensed life there. And so I gave myself another 24-hour extension to see if I could find out what it was. This is that house of mercy. This is that Bethesda, Beth Hesed, this place of grace and healing. And Jesus says to us, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? A friend of mine had this, I was, we were talking together last week about this text. And he said, you know, I was, had a time of prayer a few weeks ago, or recently, I'm not sure how long ago. And in my time of prayer, I felt Jesus walk up to me and say, what do you want? And I gave some answer, oh, I want to love you, and I walk, want to walk and trust. And Jesus said, no, that's not what you really want. What do you really want? And he, he said, I gave some other answer. This is what I really want. And Jesus said to me, no, that's still not what you really want. And I said to Jesus, I don't know what I really want. And Jesus said, you're right, but I do. And I'll take you there. We worship the God who walks into our lives, often unannounced, often unknown, and says, what do you want? Do you want to be well? Or would you rather continue in your paralysis and your shame? And then he says to us, really not even waiting for our answer, get up. Get up. Get up from your sin and your shame and your disbelief and your doubt and your distrust and your feeling of being unworthy and unwelcome and unacceptable. Get up from the paralysis of your body or your soul. Get up, he says to us. But often the hardest healing isn't of our bodies, is it? The hardest healing is of those other parts of us that others can't see. Our daughter and her husband go to a church named Bethel, which means house of God, uh, another Beth word in scripture. And on Saturday mornings, they convert their sanctuary and their fellowship hall into healing rooms. And people from all over the world come to what has now become a Bethesda, a Bethsaida, a place of mercy and grace. And Carrie and I were visiting there, our daughter and son-in-law and grandkids, and decided I'm all for healing. I'm sure I've got lots of things that could handle healing. Uh, so we went to their healing room, and we're in the worship space before being ushered into individual times of prayer. And the worship, uh, we just walked in, and the worship leader made a beeline straight for me, and just walked right up to me and said, God wants you to know 
And then he said exactly what I needed to hear, which only the Holy Spirit could have known. I wasn't even sure I knew it, but it was exactly the right word for me. And then I, I was so overwhelmed by this, I thought, okay, I'm done. Uh, but then we went on to the, the other prayer time, and these two kids, you know, I am, I'm about as straight and as uptight as a human being can be. And these two kids, you know, their earrings and their tattoos and their bleach blonde hair, and they're about 22 years old, and they didn't know I had a PhD, and they didn't know that I'd written a dozen books in theology and all this stuff. They walked up to me and started praying for me. And they had the wisdom of God. They had the word of God. They didn't know anything about me. They didn't even ask me where I needed to be healed. But God told them. And of the many things that they said to me that day, one thing they said that has stuck with me ever since was, God wants you to know that you are safe in his arms of love. Now that's the kind of thing we hear all the time, isn't it? But somehow those words do become that benign backdrop that it's just hidden in the recesses of our mind instead of that present reality that grips us, that shapes us as arms of love really would if they were. You are safe in God's arms of love. I've, when I think of this passage, I've contrasted it with that other healing in Acts chapter 3 uh, on Solomon's porch outside the temple when there was another lame man who'd been lame since birth who was carried by his friends outside the temple to beg. And Peter walks up to him and says, I don't have any money to give you, but in the name of Jesus, get up. And the man did. And he's... He got up and he started leaping and dancing and praising God and rushed into the temple with Peter and John, clinging to them as the ones through whom he'd received healing. And, and Peter says, oh, don't look at us as if it was by our power or our piety that this man was made well, but it was by the power of the name of Jesus that he was made well. Where the man in Bethesda was healed physically, but he never was healed emotionally, socially, or spiritually that we see in the text this man in Solomon's porch was healed physically, but also emotionally. Leaping, dancing, praising God, socially, spiritually, set free. That's when we encounter the grace and mercy of God in the midst of our shame and our disgrace. Grace Kane was a long-term member of this church who had many quite remarkable ministries, but one thing she frequently did was bring some of the women with whom she worked who were um, commercial in the commercial sex industry to come to worship, and they'd sit the fourth row back on that side, and you'd see Grace and her friends there Sunday after Sunday, and members of this church would take them to their homes for lunch after church, and one of these women was sitting in a very nice living room in a home in Laurelhurst. She'd never been in a house like that, never been in a sofa like that, never been in a living room like that. And the six or seven-year-old girl of that family, as dinner was being prepared, walked into the living room and climbed up in this woman's lap and started stroking her face and said to her, oh, you are so beautiful. And the woman burst into tears saying to Grace, I've been touched every way physically that one can imagine, but this is the first time in my life I've been touched by love. That's this place. 
That's what it means for us to be the people of God, to receive this touch of God's love, to receive this healing embrace of God's mercy, replacing our disgrace with grace, replacing our shame with mercy, and setting us free to go touch the rest of the world with that same love. And this church has a grand history of that resettling hundreds of Southeast Asian refugees, a language institute for, for refugees, new horizons for street kids downtown, street youth ministries, AA and NA groups, and on and on and on. This church as a Bethesda, as a place of mercy and grace, and the lives of you and your homes and your relationships and of the workplace extending that touch of God's love. Who is this Jesus who does this? Equal to the Father, does nothing on his own initiative, only does what he sees the Father doing, set free knowing that he's loved by the Father, the source of life, the one who gives life, not life defined by circumstances or limited by death, but life irrepressible, life abounding, life abundant. And the one who doesn't seek our approval, but gives us his. In John 17, Jesus prays, Father, give to them the same glory, the same approval that you've given to me. This God who gives us God's approval. God's delight in us. We don't approve of ourselves. God does. God gives us God's approval. So no wonder, with that kind of gospel, you want to start leaping and dancing and praising God. No wonder with that kind of gospel, there's a freedom in your step and a release to your spirit and there's a healing that penetrates to your very core. And so Jesus asks us, what do you want? Do you want to be well? What's keeping you from that? What excuses are you offering? And then Jesus blows through our excuses. And in his, the fire of his love says, get up. Get up. I set you free. I give you life irrepressible. We've not come to a God whom we can control or manage. We've not come to a God who keeps things decent and in order. We've not come merely to words or ideas or concepts. We've come to the word who has walked into our lives with power and mercy and fire. And so, may the fire of God burn in us. Where? Where do you need the fire of God to burn in us? Where do we need little three-year-old Eli's prayer answered in us? Jesus. Fire. Where do we need to hear God say to us, I delight in you. Lean back in my arms of love and go touch the world with my embrace of love. The Holy Spirit is here, 
present in this room, making this room a house of mercy and grace for the healing of shame and disgrace. At the end of the service, there will be, as always, people who are eager to pray with you. And if you need to hear personally this gospel, if you need to be reminded personally of this truth of God, I encourage you at the end of the service to come forward and, and invite God to pour out into your heart more of the fire of his love. Let's pray. So come Holy Spirit in your mercy and grace. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.